Well, hey there, it's Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to this week's sermon podcast. In Melbourne Heights, we are growing closer to God together, and we've been doing that recently by taking a deeper look at some stories from Jesus' life and seeing what they have to teach us about who God is and what it means for God to have walked this earth with us. Now, this week, we are wrapping up this series of sermons by taking a, a deeper dive into one of the strangest stories in all of the Gospels, all of the biographies of Jesus' life, and that's the story of the Transfiguration. Now, in case you don't remember, inside of the Transfiguration, Jesus has climbed high up onto a mountain with some of his closest disciples. And while they're on that mountaintop, Jesus is transfigured or transformed right before their eyes. Uh, The Gospel of Matthew tells us that his face shone like the sun and that his clothes were as white as light. And while this Transfiguration is happening, Jesus is joined by two other central figures uh, to the Jewish faith. He's joined by Moses and he's joined by by Elijah. And we're going to see in this sermon what Jesus' conversation with Moses and Elijah has to teach us about what it means for Jesus to truly be our Messiah. So with that, let's dive right into this week's sermon. So when I was a kid, there was one particular board game that I always wanted to own. And that was the classic 80s board game, Guess Who? Now, just in case you weren't a child of the 80s who played this game endless times with your friends, let me explain to you how the game of Guess Who works. In Guess Who, at least the original 1980s version of it, two players start the game, and and they start the game uh, with, with 24 cartoon characters that they're trying to narrow down the field of. So the game begins with each of the players selecting at random cards that are contained inside of this game. You're going to pick one of those cards that has one of the 24 cartoon characters on your, other, on your opponent's board that you're going to try to keep a mystery from them, that they're trying to figure out along the way. So the game begins when you pick the card, and from those separate cards, you come up with the one cartoon character that your opponent is trying to guess. And the object of the game is for your opponent to use yes or no questions to eliminate all of the other possibilities narrow it down, and be the first one to determine which card you have selected. So when you play a game like Guess Who, you can ask questions like, does your cartoon character have a mustache? Or does your character wear glasses? Or does your character have red hair? And along the way, you're slowly narrowing down all of the possibilities until you're finally able to guess who your opponent is. Now, like I said a minute ago, I always wanted this game when I was a kid, but I never got a copy of it for myself. So you better believe that when my daughter got old enough to start playing board games, that one of the first games we bought for Hannah was the game of Guess Who. And this morning, I borrowed one of the cards out of Hannah's Guess Who game so that we can play a round of Guess Who ourselves this morning, okay? And here's how it's going to work. I have already selected one of the car, one of the characters from this card, and it's up on the screen behind me right now. And you are going to try to figure out which character I have selected by asking yes or no questions. So it's the whole congregation versus me. All right? Here's how it's going to work. I'm going to let you randomly shout out yes or no questions. And as soon as you think you know which character is mine, I want you to raise your hand up, and I'll call on you. And if you get it right, the whole church wins. If you get it wrong, I win. 
And if I beat all of you, you better believe I'm going to be bragging on it for a long time to come. All right? Make sense to everybody? All right, who wants to shout out the first yes or no question? Pam. Does your character have uh, blonde hair or yellow hair? No. Leslie. Is your character a man? No. Paula. Does my character have white hair? No. Harold. No, my character does not have glasses. Carol. My character is not wearing a hat. Terry. My character is not wearing glasses. Steve. My character has black hair, yes. Pam. Nope. <laughs> My character's not wearing glasses. Number two has glasses on. I couldn't tell if she had glasses. That's no fair. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I only blew it up as big as I could so you could see the picture with it. All right. We'll keep going. We'll give you another chance. Claudia? My character does not have a white mustache. Daniel? My character is number 12, and just to prove I wasn't cheating with it, we've got a slide to show you. See, that's the one I picked out from the beginning, because, you know, you can never trust preachers. We might cheat on board games with you. All right, so that was kind of a fun way to start out the sermon this morning, but you're probably wondering, what on earth does a game of Guess Who have to do with all of us gathered together in this place, because we didn't come here this morning to play board games together. But over the last several weeks, we have been taking a closer look at stories from Jesus' life to help us better understand who Jesus really is. So in a way, since the beginning of this year, we have been playing a great big old game of guess who when it comes to Jesus. But with Jesus, we haven't been wondering things like, does he have a beard? Or what color were his eyes? Or if he wore glasses or not? Instead, we've been question, asking questions like, are you still that baby in a manger? Are you that person that was baptized by John? Are you someone that called fishermen to be your first followers? And to each one of these questions that we've asked along the way, we've answered yes. Yes, Jesus was a baby that was in a manger who, came, who the wise men came to me. Yes, Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Yes, Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John, who were fishermen, to be his disciples and to fish for men. And week after week, as we've answered more of these questions, we've continued to discover a little bit more about who Jesus is. With each question, each question that we found an answer to, we've come a little bit closer to understanding what it meant for Jesus, who is God's own Son, who is God made human to walk this earth. But we need to be honest here this morning. A few weeks isn't enough time to really know who Jesus is. A few weeks spent together inside of this sanctuary talking about these stories hasn't been enough time to really understand who Jesus is. The truth of the matter is that even after years of following Jesus as his student, living every waking moment with him, sharing meals and sharing stories with him, sitting at Jesus' 
uh, feet and hearing him teach, watching as he performed miracles, and he helped heal people. Not even Jesus' closest followers, not even Jesus' disciples, really knew who Jesus is. So, in the middle of Jesus' ministry, he decides to play a little game of guess who with his disciples. And you can see how this game plays out for yourself whenever you want. One version of it is recorded in Matthew chapter 16. But this is kind of how the game goes. It starts with Jesus asking his disciples, who, who do people say that I am? And then the disciples start playing the game of guess who, and they start throwing out possibilities. The disciples respond to Jesus, some people say that you are John the Baptist. But Jesus isn't John the Baptist. Then the disciples call out again and they say, others say that you are Elijah. But wrong again, because Jesus isn't Elijah. And they continue on and say, still others say that you are Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Nope, Jesus isn't Jeremiah or one of the other prophets too. None of the disciples' guesses are quite right at the, be at the beginning. But have you ever stopped and thought, when you've read this passage of Scripture, to wonder why other people had been saying that Jesus was John the Baptist, or Elijah, or Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets? Have you ever wondered why these were the first guesses that the disciples made to who Jesus is? Because believe it or not, there really is a good reason why other people thought this and the disciples would have said it inside of the story. Because up until this point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus has behaved a whole lot like a prophet. Now, remember what a prophet is. All a prophet is is someone who speaks on behalf of God. And Jesus has been doing a whole lot of that throughout the first 16 chapters of Matthew's Gospel. He has been speaking on behalf of God. Prior to Matthew chapter 16, Jesus has spent most of the book preaching and teaching and performing miracles. He's been doing the same things that the prophets of old had done before Jesus came. But now's the time. Now's the time when Matthew, as he's writing his biography of Jesus' life, wants to make it crystal clear to us and to everyone who reads his book that although Jesus may have lived like a prophet, he was more than a prophet. Jesus may have lived like a prophet, but Jesus was so much more than a prophet. So in the culmination of Jesus' game of guess who with his disciples, Peter steps up to the plate and he takes his shot at the question. And Peter answers Jesus and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And you know what? Peter got it right. Peter got it right. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. And the word Christ is our way as people of faith uh, of saying that Jesus is the one true king. Saying that Jesus is the Christ is our way of saying that Jesus is the one true king. But he is more than just the one true king because Peter says that Jesus is the Christ, but he's also the son of the living God. So clearly, it's the one true king and the son of the living God. Jesus is more than just a good teacher. Jesus is more than just a moral leader. Jesus is more than just another prophet. As the, rabbi, as the rabbi Benjamin Bleck explains, 
When Peter says that Jesus is the Christ, what Peter is saying is that Jesus is the Savior who was sent by God to redeem his people and to bring about the divinely destined time for universal peace and acknowledgement of the one God by all of mankind. And as soon as Peter hears that he got it right, as soon as Peter hears that he is correct, that Jesus is the rightful king, the one true king, the one sent by God to save God's people, you can almost hear the sounds of the coronation trumpet start blasting inside of Peter's ears. You can almost see images of the conquering king flashing before Peter's eyes, his king riding in on a bright white stallion, dancing through the mind of Peter. Because Peter has a very specific idea of who the Christ is supposed to be. So when Jesus says that Peter is right, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you can already tell that Peter is ready for Jesus to be the kind of Christ that he had anticipated and expected. Peter is ready for a triumphal entry, not just into Israel's capital city, but Peter's ready for Jesus to go and storm in to the capital of the Roman Empire, to overthrow Caesar and to take his place, and to save all of Israel's people from the tyranny of Rome. And anything less than Jesus, anything less than Jesus at the very least, marching into the city of Jerusalem and kicking the the Roman governor off of his royal throne inside of that city is going to be unacceptable in Peter's mind. Because when Peter says that Jesus is the Christ, the one who has come to save his people, to be their one true king, Peter is thinking about the other people that God has used to save Israel in the past. Peter is expecting Jesus to behave like the other people that God has used to save Israel in the past. Peter's expecting that Jesus is going to be the next Moses. He's expecting that that, that Jesus is going to behave a lot like Moses did and do the same things that Moses did when he walked this earth. He's expecting that Jesus is going to free the people of Israel from their captivity under the Roman government the same way that Moses freed the people of Israel from their 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Peter is thinking that Jesus has been up on the mountaintop, like Moses went up on the mountaintop and stood before that burning bush and heard the voice of God tell him the same thing that God told Moses. When God said, I have seen the misery of my people in Israel, I've heard their cries for deliverance from their harsh oppressors. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering, so I've come to rescue them. So Peter expects that Jesus will go marching in to the palace of Israel's equivalent of the Pharaoh, the governor Pilate, the Roman governor appointed over Israel and Jerusalem, and demand that Pilate free his people. Pilate let the people of Israel go. And if Pilate doesn't comply to this request, then Peter expects something big is going to happen. Because in the story of Israel being freed from their captivity in Egypt, something big happens when the Pharaoh refuses to let God's people go. So Peter expects that if Jesus doesn't get his way, that there's going to be water turned to blood in Jerusalem. That livestock are going to be killed. That frogs and gnats and flies and locusts are going to swarm all over the land. He expects that fiery hail is going to fall from the sky and boils are going to pop up on the governor's skin. In short, 
Peter is expecting Israel to be plagued by God until God gets his way and the people of Israel are set free. And once Pilate is no longer sitting on Israel's throne, Peter's next expectation is that Jesus is going to walk in and take his place and show the world that Jesus is the one true king. But if talking to burning bushes and parting seas and carrying around uh, stone tablets isn't quite Jesus' thing, if he's not going to be just like Moses, then Peter expects that he's going to be like another one of Israel's saviors. That Jesus is going to be just like the prophet Elijah. Peter remembers that Elijah had the guts to stand up to Israel's king and to tell that king that his marriage wasn't a good idea. Elijah knew that that the king of Israel's marriage would cause the entire nation to stray away from God and essentially cheat on their God, the one true God, with other so-called deities. So Elijah is willing to stand up and he expects, Peter expects that Jesus will do the exact same things. He thinks that Jesus will come storming into Jerusalem, that he's going to stand up to all of the religious leaders of his day and tell them that their behavior has caused all of Israel to stray away from God and that the people have been cheating on God for centuries with their love of rules and regulations rather than their love their one true God. Peter expects that Jesus is going to call out the false prophets, maybe even challenge them to another mountaintop showdown like Elijah did with the false prophets in Israel in his days. And Peter expects that Jesus is going to put the religious leaders on the spot to make them prove that they really know who God is. And when they show that God is not answering their prayers, Peter expects Jesus to come swooping in and to show that he really is God's son and God's chosen one. Peter expects that the religious leaders in Israel are at the very least going to lose their jobs. Deep down, he might even be hoping that they're going to lose their lives. He really wants the true kingdom of God to come. The kingdom that will take the place of the idolatry that Israel has been committed. That's what Peter expects of Jesus. When Peter declares that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Peter expects that Jesus is going to be the king. He expects that Jesus is going to be in charge. He expects that Jesus is going to stand up to his enemies. He expects that Jesus and his closest followers are going to reap the reward. But just because Peter was able to accurately guess who Jesus is, that doesn't mean that Peter actually understands who Jesus is. I mean, think about it again in terms of the game, guess who? Now, you can look look at me standing up on the stage, and there are certain things that you could use to identify who I am. You can see that I'm a man, you can see that I have a beard, you can see that my hair is brown, and that you can make the safe assumption that I, since I'm standing up on the stage preaching in this place this morning, that I'm probably the pastor of this church. But just because you can figure that stuff out, that doesn't mean that you really know me. I mean, sure, you could probably pick me out of a police lineup if you had to, but if all that you know about me is my gender, my hair color, my job title then you don't really know me from Adam, as that old expression goes. And the same thing's true for Peter here. He knows Jesus' hair color. 
He knows the kind of work that Jesus has done. He even knows Jesus' proper title, that Jesus is the Christ. But Peter doesn't really know what that word means. But in our scripture reading for this morning, he's going to get a much better picture. You see, just six days after Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, Peter gets to be a part of that small group that's with Jesus when he climbs up to the top of a very high mountain. And as they climb to the top of that mountain, Peter's probably still envisioning that Jesus is going to become just like Moses who climbed to the top of Mount Sinai to hear the voice of God. Or Peter is probably still expecting that Jesus is going to be just like Elijah who climbed to the top of a very high mountain at Mount Carmel to have a showdown with the false prophets in Israel and to prove that they were wrong. So Peter is probably thinking that Jesus is going to show them, show his closest followers, that Jesus is just like Moses and Elijah who had helped save Israel in the past. But then something unexpected happens. When Peter, Jesus, James, and John reach the top of that mountain. So if you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. Let me just remind you as you're finding this, that up until this point in Jesus' life and in Jesus' ministry, that it has looked, his life and his ministry has looked a whole lot like the lives and the ministry of every other prophet. But in this story, Matthew is going to leave us no doubt that Jesus is more than a prophet. Matthew chapter 17, we'll start reading in verse 1. Is what Matthew writes. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them to the top of a very high mountain. And Jesus was transformed, transfigured in front of them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Moses and Elijah appeared to them, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all of this by saying to Jesus, Lord, Lord, it's good that we've been here. If you want me to, I'll make three shrines, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. While Peter was still speaking, look, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from that cloud said, This is my son whom I dearly love. I am very pleased with him. Listen to him. Hearing this, the disciples fell on their faces, filled with awe. But Jesus came and he touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Now i got to tell you, I can't even imagine can't even begin to imagine what it must have been like to be on that mountaintop that day. I can't even begin to imagine what it must have been like to see Jesus transform and his face glowing like the sun and his clothes as as white as light right before my eyes. I can't even begin to imagine what it must have been like to see Jesus join in some heavenly scene like this with Moses on one side and Elijah on the other. But I can't imagine that when Matthew describes them as feeling terrified, that doesn't even begin to describe how scared Peter and James and John must have been in that moment. But even in the midst of their sheer terror, as the heavens open up, as the voice of God is preparing to speak, you see that Peter still has no idea of what's happening right before his own two eyes. 
when Peter bursts out inside of the story and says, um, Jesus, if you want me to, I'll go ahead and make three shrines while we're here. I'll build one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Peter is still equating Jesus and Moses and Elijah. He still thinks that they are the same. He's still thinking that Jesus is going to be another Moses who delivered Israel from Pharaoh. He's still thinking that Jesus is going to be another Elijah who saved Israel from the wicked king Ahab. Peter has missed the point. Because the story of the transfiguration doesn't tell us that Jesus is just like Moses or that Jesus is just like Elijah. Because at the end of the story, at the end of the story, verse 8 we're told, when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Moses is gone. Elijah is gone. Jesus left. And what the story tells us is, we don't need a Savior like Moses. What the story tells us is that we don't need a Savior like Elijah. What the story tells us is that all we need is Jesus. All we need is Jesus. But I'm here to tell you this morning, after these last several weeks where we've dug deeper into the stories of Jesus' life and his ministry and his miracles and his teaching, that we need the real Jesus. We need the Jesus who called us to follow him. We need the Jesus who commands us to take up our cross daily if we want to be his disciples. We need the Jesus who challenges us to lose our lives for his sake. You see, there's no need for us to play a game of guess who when it comes to Jesus' identity. Because we know who Jesus is. We know who Jesus is. But what you have to do is you have to decide if you are willing to follow the real Jesus. Not a cartoon caricature that we often create. Are you willing to follow the real Jesus? The Jesus that demands a high standard from us all? Are you happier to have some idea in your head of who Jesus is instead? What we've seen through this story and all the others that we've explored is that the only Jesus that we need is the real Jesus that came and walked us Let's pray together. God, you know that as we come together in this place this morning, that we live in a world that has a whole lot of ideas about who Jesus is. There are some that continue to echo the same words that the disciples guessed in Matthew 16. There are some people that will tell us that Jesus is just a prophet or a moral teacher, something along those lines. But Peter was absolutely right when he said that Jesus is the Christ and that he is your son. God, you went on to show us exactly what that meant in the story of the transfiguration. You showed us that Jesus is greater than any prophet, that Jesus is the only true Savior of all of you. So God, help us to really follow Jesus. Help us to follow that Jesus who calls us 
to lay down our lives for you and for your kingdom. Help us to follow that Jesus who calls us to carry our own cross daily to be his disciple. Help us to follow a Jesus that isn't easy to follow, but the Jesus who is real, instead of just some character that we made up in our minds. We pray it in his name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and thanks for listening to this week's sermon podcast. We hope that it's challenged you, that it's inspired you, and most of all, that it's encouraged you to grow in your relationship with God. Now, next week, we are starting into a brand new series of sermons at Melbourne Heights, and I'm calling this series of sermons No Easy Answers. And during the series, we're going to explore why we should be asking those tough questions, even when they don't have easy answers. And then we're going to dig deeper into questions like, where is God when it hurts? Why do bad things happen to good people. Why is there pain and suffering in this world at all? So we hope that you'll join us next Tuesday when our next sermon podcast releases. And while you're here, let me encourage you to do a couple of things for me real quick. The first thing that I would love for you to do is to leave a review of this podcast in your favorite podcasting app. Your reviews mean a lot to us and they help get the word out about this to other people to help them grow in their faith as well. And if you haven't done it yet, make sure that you have subscribed to this podcast. That way, whenever a new episode releases, it's sent straight into your favorite podcasting app so you can listen to it whenever is convenient for you. So let me say once again, thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope that it's encouraged you and inspired you and helped you grow in your relationship with God. We hope that you've got it. Have a great week and we will see you next Tuesday.